This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 565 with Colleen Echohawk. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 565. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Over the past two decades, Colleen Echohawk has served the most marginalized people living in the greater Seattle community, and now she's running for mayor. As the head of Chief Seattle Club, a nonprofit dedicated to the rapid rehousing of urban natives, Colleen led the effort to create nearly $100 million in new affordable housing in Seattle. Under Colleen's leadership, Chief Seattle Club has received recognition from the Puget Sound Sage Visionary for Justice Award in 2018, the Neighborhood Builder Award in 2017, and the Municipal League of King County's Organization of the Year in 2016. Colleen is an enrolled member of the Kittahawkee Band of the Pawnee Nation and a member of the Upper Athabascan People of Mentasta Lake. Colleen and her family have been proud to call Seattle home for over two decades. In her spare time, she loves to read, sing karaoke, take her dog Rizzo for a walk, listen to NPR, and cook delicious food for her friends and family. Colleen has been recognized by numerous organizations, including the 21 Leaders to Watch in 2021 by Seattle Magazine, the King County Martin Luther King Jr. Medal of Distinguished Service in 2020, Seattle's Most Influential People by Seattle Magazine in November 2019, and many more. 
I got to hear Colleen speak a couple months ago, and I knew immediately I wanted to ask her to be a guest on the show. I was so delighted and honored when she said yes, and I'm pretty sure we're best friends now. I mean, I don't know what she would have to say about that, but that's what I'm calling it. We could have spoken for hours. She's a powerhouse of a woman and a leader, and her mayoral platform is extraordinary. I know you will be so inspired by Colleen's stories and her incredible leadership. Listen in to hear Colleen share the cost of leadership when you're a mom, her role as the first indigenous woman running for mayor in a major city, the identity she carries as a mayoral candidate, an indigenous woman, eldest sister of seven siblings and a shameless mom, how she's using her mayoral platform to protect Seattle's most vulnerable citizens, how being an indigenous woman informs her leadership and a deep desire to be a public servant, the evolution of native identity and leadership, the intersection of motherhood and leadership and how her kids help her keep boundaries, her background serving native people experiencing homelessness and how it's the foundation of her mayoral campaign, how she wants to see change and evolution in policing in Seattle, her focus on providing the city of Seattle an equitable recovery from COVID, and her advice to other women who might be considering running for office. So whether you live in Seattle or not, whether you're going to be voting in an upcoming election in Seattle or not, you want to hear from Colleen. You want to listen to Colleen. She has so much wisdom to share when it comes to being a leader, when it comes to being a powerhouse, when it comes to using your voice, especially if you have been in a marginalized community, you're a member of a marginalized community, and she is one heck of a shameless mom. So with all that said, please join me in welcoming Colleen Echohawk to the Shameless Mom Academy. Colleen Echohawk, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited and very honored to have you here today. Oh, thank you. I'm really excited about being here. I think we have a ton in common and I'm excited to talk about motherhood and leadership and it's going to be great. So thanks for having yes, me. Yes, yes. So I have to tell people we met through a mutual friend, Angela Dunleavy. Thank you, Angela. Thank and you. yeah, Angela was hosting an online event for people in Seattle to get to know you as a mayoral candidate. And I fell in love. I'm not going to lie. I like completely <laughs> fell in love. And I texted Angela afterwards and was like, Hey, so do you think Colleen would consider coming on the show? <laughs> Angela, I just love her. She is so good about like bringing in people and connecting and almost, I think everyone I've been connected with through Angela, I've always really, really liked. So we're friends already. <laughs> we're totally, totally. I love it. So can you tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now? Yeah, well, I'm running for mayor of Seattle. So that has kind of overwhelmed not <laughs> like the whole, your whole life now. Yeah. I mean, it's not just me, but it's like my husband and my siblings. I have seven siblings that I'm totally codependent on. We're very, very close. And That's so amazing. they're very involved in the campaign. My kids, like I was just dropped my kids off at school and we came back and I saw where one of my kids had like put up like the first yard sign that I've seen that says like Echo Hawk from there. And oh, I love it. I well, love it. I'm going to need to get some of those yard signs for myself. <laughs> okay. Well, make sure you get one, but everyone is immersed in the campaign. And I will tell you that that is bittersweet, right? Like, because mm. I want my family and my kids to like, you know, live their lives. And, you know, this summer is looking hard for me because, you know, one of my daughters is going to have two kids, a son and a daughter, but she's going to go to Disneyland without me. And I just feel like, as I can't go, I got to do this. Campaign. Yeah, yeah. So it's, I want her to have fun and do it. And I want her to see like what it looks like to have a mom who is following, like, you know, I think running for mayor for me is a call to leadership and to supporting our community. And I want her to see that, yeah. but I also feel like 
oh, am I going to let her down? Is she going to look back on the start of her life and right. be like, you know, so I'm balancing all of those things right now. Or like, like when I get to make dinner, I just feel like, whoo, I did it. I did something great <laughs> for my family. Cause it's so rare. And I used to cook dinner yeah. every night. So yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. I really appreciate your point. I think like that's the cost of leadership and the cost of having massive impact sometimes is that yeah you have to pick and choose. And I've heard Brene Brown talk about like missing her kids events as they were growing up and how that was so devastating at times for certain events. And Mm -hmm. also like looking at like, okay, like I can go have this impact that will have major ripples, but then I don't get to be at my kids, you know, like playoff game and oh, that balance and that you have to make that choice. It's really hard. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah. And you know, like there are some things where I'm just like, no, like my son's eighth grade promotion, mm-hmm. I'm like, sorry, like there's a major mayoral candidate or a forum that night. I'm like, told my campaign team, like, yeah, sorry. Like I'm going to my child's yeah. eighth grade promotion. Right. You right. have to like pick and choose and decide like what is important to you. Absolutely. And I really want my kids to have fun this summer. You know, we usually, my mom lives in Alaska and my husband's parents live in Hawaii. So we usually go at least one of those places and have the kids have a great time. So anyways, they're going to go, I'm going to work super hard, try to win this race Yes, and do the best that I can as a parent and as a candidate for mayor. (laughs) Yes. Oh my goodness. So I want to talk about identities a little bit. So right now you're carrying this identity as uh, this mayoral candidate, which is like so impressive to me. And it sounds very daunting. (laughs) So (laughs) on top of that, I know you carry a lot of other identities and you've already mentioned motherhood and all in other things. But when I got to hear you speak on this zoom event, Mm -hmm. this kind of a meet and greet a few weeks ago, I loved the way you shared the various identities that you carry and the significance that they hold for you. Can you share a little bit about the various identities that you carry? Yeah, there are so many intersections. I think one of the things I was reflecting on the other day is that I'm the oldest sister of my sibling group. Mm. And so that I, makes you a natural born leader. I, yeah, it does. <laughs> like my, it's in your DNA. You don't get to choose. DNA. Yep. I have to like be there and everything happens at my house. You know, I have a sister living with me right now. I'm been the primary person to support my mom. And um, that is its own gift and responsibility. And I'm really glad for that. And that's one of my really, I'm proud of being the oldest sister of this group. The other identity that I've been thinking about as well is just as an indigenous woman running for mayor. So there's never been another indigenous woman I'm running for mayor of a major city. There is an indigenous mayor in San Diego now, a man. So I feel like I have no guideposts. Like there's no one else has done it. And we're just trying to like, you know, figure out each step along the way. But I also am remembering a lot this, what happened before I ran for office. I called a couple of folks, some elders that I appreciate. One of them was my uncle. And we share a birthday. I feel very connected to him. And um, I told him what I was going to do. And he started to cry. I started to cry. And what I realized later is we were both kind of like just recognizing the heaviness and the audacity of the moment of, you know, we come from a tribe and my uncle's the one who's taught me this. Like he's done a lot of work around our history of the Pawnee nation. And we barely made it through like the genocide of native people. There is 600 Pawnee people left. I am their daughter, granddaughter, their descendant. And to imagine that I would be running for a major city 
mayor, like is unbelievable. And we had such an interesting moment of just like feeling that importance and the joy of that and the pain and all of it. And that identity as a a native woman continues to push me along, give me great strength. And I texted my, another friend, a native person the other day, while we were enduring um, a legislative district, a really long meeting and everyone was getting irritated and stuff. And I, I was kind of grumbling about it to him on text. And then I said, and then I realized like, wait a second, like my ancestors went through so much. Like I have mm. to just sit here and drink my fizzy water and <laughs> this computer screen. And that's all I have to do right now, you know? Right. And so having that framework of, you know, I have these folks that have gone on before me to prepare me for this moment. And I need to trust in that. I need to rest in that and need to just do the best that I can and know that they're going to push me along the way. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so beautiful and so powerful. And it speaks so much to legacy. Like Mm -hmm. you are looking back at the legacy of Mm -hmm. your every, like your entire heritage and the impact of your legacy, having just made this choice to be a leader in this way is so big. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's so, um, and sometimes overwhelming. I have to just take it, you know, day by day. I have an unbelievable husband. You have to meet him. We met when we were I would love to. When we all hang out now that we're friends, I'll meet your husband. (laughs) Come to my backyard. But he and I met when we were 18 and 19 and he's just been my total rock. And like, I keep calling him the guru of the campaign because he daily reminds me like, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? And it goes back to like supporting some of the most vulnerable people in our community. I've been serving the homeless community for many years now and they deserve better. Our city, you know, if you're not from Seattle, you don't know, but Seattle has some incredible rates of homelessness. Mm -hmm. It's a humanitarian crisis. And if I can step in and try to like, you know, solve this, uh, then I should. So anyways, all of these wonderful people around me supporting me, the legacy continues because of their support. And I'm incredibly lucky. Yeah. Can you talk about how being an indigenous woman informs your leadership? And you actually just brought up such a great point about pointed out that you're so passionate about supporting vulnerable populations. You come from a really vulnerable population. So can you talk a little bit about how that informs your leadership? Yeah, I think that one thing, and I already mentioned this is that is looking to the wisdom of the elders. Like I called, you know, people before I, before I declared. And when I was thinking about it, one of them was uh, my uncle Fred John. He grew up, I grew up next door to him. He's known me my entire life. And I called him and said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. And he said, you know, absolutely. You have to do it. And then number two, he's like, remember that in our language, the Athabascan language, that there's no word in our language for leader that Mm -hmm. a leader is the servant. He said, he said the lead and this servant leader is the one who takes care of everyone in the tribe that Mm -hmm. is watching out for everyone. And we're from like the headwater people. And he also said, and you're also responsible for the villages down the river. You know, you are responsible to care and nurture the community. And so that has absolutely just led me forward in the work that I do. And I'm, I truly am in here to be that public servant. I had to ask, you know, so when I, at the beginning of also the beginning of the year, the end of the year, I had lots of people just like every day, people were saying, 
I'm going to run for mayor. I think about running for mayor. So it's getting a lot of encouragement, but you can't do it just because of people are asking you or thinking you just should. because your like, ego feels good. You're like, yeah, That's- <laughs> yeah you just <laughs> really awesome about myself right now. So <laughs> I'm just going to run for mayor. No, you, you have to like, know it's the right thing and do the right thing. And I just got all of this, like affirmation from, from people that know me and saying, this is the right thing for you to do right now. So here I am. And I believe that there's a time for indigenous leadership to be lifted up. You know, like our communities have been, you know, for a long time, we're in such survival mode because everyone, you know, the impact of colonization was significant as we know. And so now I think we're moving forward in a new way where native identity and indigeneity is being called upon to lead and we, our perspectives and voices should be heard. And as everyone says, representation does matter. It does matter. Yes. For me, I think about all the times I went to city hall. I used to have this tradition. Maybe you'll appreciate this, but uh, or not. But I have this <laughs> tradition where I'd walk from Pioneer Square up to the city hall, and because I had to go up there all the time for you know meetings and advocacy and stuff in, in my job, and I would listen to Back in Black by ACDC every time. Oh my gosh! To get myself in the right mood, and then Beyonce came out with Lemonade, and then I switched to you Lemonade. Switched. <laughs> And, but I had to prepare myself for what it was going to be like, because I was always the, almost the only native person in the whole city hall. Wow. Right. And just to get ready to be in like, you know, in a boardroom or in, you know, council chambers where I remember when Deborah Juarez got elected, she's a native woman who is now a council member. It was life-changing. It was like, whoa, like there's somebody here who understands my perspective and is going to literally calling me every time to like, it's, instead of me feeling like often when I first started doing this work, it was like, do people really want to hear my voice? Can I speak up? Should I speak up? Right. And you have to force yourself to do it. You have to like, just have the inner strength to be in those spaces. So now I imagine myself as mayor on the other side of the table. And I'm going to be so aware of those community members who felt the way that I did, you know, right. and call them into the work and invite their voices. So it's, that part is super exciting for me. I mean, that's what I'm looking forward to doing. Oh my goodness. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back. 
with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So, join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts, starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Uh, There's so many nuggets you just shared that I appreciate. I want to, you touched on that in your native language, there's not a word for leader, mm-hmm. but the context around leadership is all around being of service. And what I love about this, and I think is so special and important is it takes the ego out of leading and it yeah. makes it about the people mm-hmm. you're serving instead of making it about you. So it's not about like you being up on a podium right. showboating or saying fancy things. It's yeah. really about you being of service and how can you be of service? And that's not always what we see in leadership. (laughs) We don't always see people really embracing that part of it. And I think that's so significant. And I love that vision of leadership. And that's really exciting to me. I also, when you talk about representation and the opportunity to the amount of courage it takes when you're the only, I have a good friend who has a podcast called the only one in the room, which by mm-hmm. the way, I need, I should connect you to, but anyways, yeah. so she talks about people who are the only one in the room based on different experiences. And her experience originally was being the only black woman in the room at a writing retreat for 600 women. Oh and so God. that's kind of what spawned her whole podcast. <laughs> yeah. And so if you think about her experience there, or you think about your experience being the only native woman in the room and the mm-hmm. amount of courage it takes to speak up and say something. And mm-hmm. especially if you're going to say something that other people can't relate to or don't understand. Right. And right. I just can't, I mean, to your point around not having to be that person instead being someone who is sought after for counsel. Now that's a tremendous shift and shows so much potential for other leaders and women and native people who want to step into those roles, but feel that the fear around it and feel that discomfort around like, does my voice matter? Does my voice have value? Will people really listen? Are people going to understand? Am I just going to get shut down? Yeah. And all of that. Yeah. Well, and even just as women, you know, um, there is that dynamic of, you know, so Mayor Durkin was the first woman mayor sent in like 90 years in Seattle. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we're still breaking through some of those um, very patriarchal systems that are part of life at city hall and part of life here in, in Seattle and in our country. So there's that dynamic too, that we carry, but I also feel like to go back to that moment of my, of my other uncle, <laughs> when, when we were in tears about me running, it's like, there is so much resilience too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, we've been through a tremendous amount of, you know, hard things, but I find a lot of strength in knowing that our community around us has been resilient. There's been, you know, so many women in the city who have led for led things forward and a really our friend Angela, right? Like we're doing yeah. amazing things, being incredibly resilient and in fact, just changing the world. So it's a really good place to be in right now. Yeah. Yeah. How does your journey through motherhood or how has your journey through motherhood paralleled and intersected with your journey in leadership? You know, so you sent me that question that you might ask me. I kept, I was just reflecting on that so much. It's such an interesting question. 
Can um, I, before you answer it, I have to say, cause I've sent this question to a number of people and one person I sent it to, who was someone who I really admired, who had this massive following. And she's like, oh my, they don't intersect for me. There's no connection. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, can I ask you to do some more reflection? Please? Oh man. It was so awkward. And she was, I was like, this is someone who's like wildly successful and like a bigger name that I had on the show. And I was like, this is so awkward right now. So, <laughs> so thanks in advance for reflecting. On oh, question. I mean, it's such an interesting one because it intersects in every way. Like, you know, I'm like on the phone this morning, like talking to people, my kids are in the car, I'm driving them down. They're listening. It's funny on the campaign that my kids are very like, they're giving me advice about things. Like they'll mm-hmm. say, well, did I saw on social media that this other candidate did this? And are you doing that? And like, Oh, interesting. How old are your kids? They are 12 and 14. Okay. And my 14 year old especially is very, you know, aware of what's he, they're following my social media like every day. And they're very curious. Like they can look at everyone who's following me and they're pointing out different people and stuff. I'm like, wow. And so I, I think that it. part of the intersection, and thank you for allowing me to reflect on this too, because it's, it's such a good thing for me to think about. Part of the intersection that I'm seeing is that they're really helping lead me in some ways. Like they're pointing out places where I didn't see things that I didn't see or notice and having them be a part of this campaign has just been, you know, really, really remarkable. And, and I I didn't expect it. I didn't expect everyone, my whole family to just like, just be involved, including the kids. I think the other thing around just, you know, my leadership as an executive director of a nonprofit my kids have grounded me in so many ways. Like, you know, I could have just been like, you know, 12 hours a day, like just go, go, go. Cause I was incredibly focused on it and having to say, Nope, I got to go back. I got to help, you know, my daughter with her homework. I need to like make dinner. I need to make sure that, you know, they're getting their doctor's appointments and having that grounding is just so important to not allow the pressure of all because serving the homeless community, like, I mean, for me, I was in it emotionally, 100%. I would imagine it could be very (laughs) all-consuming. Yes. And that's just not healthy. And it's not healthy for my leadership to not have like moments of just break from that. And so my kids have really um, grounded me and pushed me forward. I think that they're tenacious and they're funny and it just helps, you know, makes me better. I'm just going to reflect on this question for so long. Oh, please do. (laughs) It's a hard one. It's a really good one. Okay. Quick break to tell you about something I created just for you. I'm so excited. So I recently took a poll and I asked you what you need more of right now. What's the biggest obstacle that's holding you back? And the overwhelming response was that you all feel like you don't have enough time to yourselves. And I hear you, I see you, I am with you. And so here's what I did. I created a new, totally free workshop just for you. Please join me on July 28th for my five mindset resets you need to shine like a mother after surviving a pandemic. So here's the thing. Just by showing up for the workshop, you get time alone. Okay, well, not time alone because you're gonna be with me, which will be awesome, but time away from all the people in your household, right? So this workshop is for those of you who are ready to calm the chaos, stress, and overwhelm of your daily life, who are ready to create more time just for you and who are ready to step into your most confident and courageous selves. So I know that this last 18 months have taken a toll and I'm here to help you bring back ease and confidence and joy. Here's the thing. 
I want to help you take back your time so that you can feel that stress dissipate. I want to help you become a better decision maker and action taker so that you can stop staying so stuck in your own head. Man, inside your head can be a dangerous place, right? I also know that I have some great tools that can help you reset your brain so that you can totally believe and deeply see and understand how you are already 100% qualified enough to go after whatever it is that you want in this next season of your life. So if you want to just come hang out and be a fly on the wall, or if you're like, yes, I need all of that. And I'm ready to take massive action in my life. Like whatever you want, come join me, come hang out. We're going to have so much fun. If you've ever done a workshop with me before, you know, it's a ton of fun. It's a time where you get to listen and learn. You also get to engage and we chat and we have like inside jokes in the comments. Like it's a whole situation and I don't want you to miss it. So if you are in need of some time alone to learn or time alone to just chill or time alone to hang out with me, let's do it. Join me on July 28th. Go over to shamelessmom.com slash shine to get yourself signed up for free. That's shamelessmom.com slash shine. And I'll see you on July 28th. And it sounds like your kids are pushing you to have boundaries that maybe Mm -hmm. you wouldn't otherwise have. Oh yes, absolutely. That is exactly the right way. They give me these boundaries and they also give me the push too. Mm-hmm. Like the other night I was saying to my daughter, like, I'm sorry, like this is a really busy week for all campaigns because the voter registration guy's coming out and it's just crazy. And I was apologizing. Zoe was like, my daughter was like, you know what? It's okay. Like we'll get you to this later. And anyways, mm-hmm. they just ebb and flow with things. And it's been an amazing journey with them. I think that ultimately, okay, real quick story about my daughter. When she was three, she told me she wanted to be the leader who was in charge of all the other leaders. Oh my gosh. I love your daughter. <laughs> I love this. So so and I know, and she has incredible leadership qualities. And one of the reasons I'm running for mayor is I just thought, you know, she very well could be a president of the United States. Absolutely. Yeah. She has that kind of potential. And if I can show her like that, this is possible for you by running for mayor of a major city. If I can show you like what you can do, even as a mother mm-hmm. and as, you know, part of a family, then I should do it. I should, you know, blaze that trail for her. So it's, they're very much an inspiration for why I have, you know, fallen into this work and yeah. why I'm running for mayor. I love that. I know I've had conversations with Angela, our mutual friend, who's been the CEO of a couple of companies in the time that I've known her. And we've talked about like how you present to your kids around like missing certain things, not being home at certain times, things like Mm -hmm. that. And one of the things that we've talked about is like that she specifically said was like, if my boys know that I was gone, but it was because I was busy being a CEO, Mm -hmm. that means something really big for these two little boys to see that modeled and say, I have a son as well. And so for him, if I'm gone somewhere and he knows that like, oh, but mom is on a stage somewhere giving Mm -hmm. a talk, like that's what women do. That's what leaders do. And we're normalizing that, that you're normalizing this for your daughter so that she's at age three is like, I'm going to be the leader of all the leaders. Like it's just a given it's going to happen because that's what we do. Right. Exactly. I think that's so right on. And, and it's something that I have to um, stay 
focused on though, because I can find myself falling into, you know, mom guilt. Yes. <laughs> and just seeing, oh gosh, I'm kind of like last night I didn't get home until like nine o'clock. And I, I don't really like just give myself the talk, like, nope, this is important. There's my sisters were here. My husband was here. They had a great dinner. That's the other great thing about having such a big sibling group. My siblings are just, are, you know, co-parenting with us in our tradition, Mm -hmm. like that my siblings are also like parents to my kids. And that has been such a wonderful relief. My sister will fly from DC. She's very involved in the campaign and then take my kids roller skating, like every day. I mean, like they're just, we're just so so lucky to have like that kind of co-parenting support. And so my kids, I think are getting their family to be around them in the middle of what's going on with mom. Right. If you don't mind, can I tell you my philosophy on mom guilt? Oh yes, please do. So, and this maybe will be helpful. So I think that mom guilt is a social construct brought on by the patriarchy in which we're told we should feel guilty. And that doesn't mean that we don't like actually carry legitimate guilt and feel bad about missing things or not being there at certain times, but we're conditioned to be made to feel bad, to think that we should think, I can't believe I'm missing this, or I shouldn't be doing this, or I should be there for the kids because there's not really such thing as dad guilt. Yeah. (laughs) So not that you don't actually feel like you're missing out on things and not that you don't actually carry like legitimate guilt with that, but also you've been taught that you should feel really, really bad. You should feel less than, and you should feel inadequate. And that's so not okay. I so resonate with that, Sarah. I had this friend who's CFO of a major company here in Seattle and we were over there for dinner. This is several years ago. And he was saying that he gets home around like 7.30 and then is only there for his son's like goodnight routine. That's not even for dinner. And I, I remember looking at him and said, I said, do you feel guilty about that? I was in the middle of like 10 to 12 hour days at that point too. And he said, no, I don't feel guilty. He said at the time, he said, you know, he told me all these things that about the way that his son was being cared for. Mm-hmm. And I just, it blew my mind. I thought, wow, like he does not even think about it at all. He right. thinks he's doing a great job. He thinks he's doing a great Yay. job and he's only there for bedtime routine. And that has really changed me because you're exactly right. It is a construct that is not true and we have to get over it. I fight it off all the time because I'm part of that. You know, I grew up in that construct. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. She had eight children. She devoted herself to us. And so I just have a hard time, like, you know, balancing it out, but very helpful to hear that. And what a gift to your kids that they get to have other caretakers who adore them so much. And now those are like their go-to, not that they would be their go-to people over you and your husband, but they have like these go-to safety network that's so much bigger. And that's such a gift. Absolutely. And, and because I don't know, I just have, as I've mentioned before, I have a great family. They're able to do it in a way where I don't feel jealous or everything is, you know, I don't know. It's we're very, very fortunate. And my kids will look back at this time. I know and have, they have a lot of fun memories. A lot of fun things are happening because in some ways, my siblings and my mom are kind of overcompensating because I'm so busy. (laughs) And they're like, let's get ice cream. They're like super spoiled. The kids are like, mom, please keep running for mayor for as long as possible. Could we delay the elections? Yeah, (laughs) they're getting so spoiled right now, but I appreciate it. It's not, I don't even actually think it's spoiled. It's just that their emotional health is so important for our whole family that they're just getting a lot of love and support. It's been really, really amazing. I love it. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning. 
where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. Can you tell us about your platform in your campaign? Yeah. Oh, I'd love to talk about that. So I have been the executive director of a nonprofit for the past seven years. And our focus was on homelessness and, and it's, we were focused on native folks, especially experiencing homelessness. And I can remember in 2015, I really started to understand the data and the data says that native people have the highest rates of homelessness around the country. So think about that, right? We're on indigenous land right now. And yet Native folks have the highest rates of homelessness. And there was this like sense of injustice that just hurt me. And so I started to really like fight for our community and the Native community. And since then, you know, I've been building affordable housing. We we have like $180 million of housing that we're building. I started, I founded the National Coalition to End Urban Indigenous Homelessness. I've consulted with the White House's Interagency Council on Homelessness, the National Alliance on Homelessness. I've, I've gotten so involved and immersed because someone had to care about it. Someone had to do it. And I was called to do it. And now I'm taking that experience. And I feel it so strongly for just our general homeless community. And you live here, you know, that we have every single night in a city like Seattle, which is very prosperous. One of the richest cities in the the country and in the world. And we have 5,000 people sleeping outside. It is immoral. It is embarrassing. It is a humanitarian crisis. I have worked in this work for so long. My consultants keep wanting me to say like, listen, if we want to solve this crisis, we need to quit hiring politicians and hiring an expert in homelessness, right? And yes. Do it. But 
you know, that's what the consultants are saying. For me, it's an action from the heart. It's another action of being that servant leader to try to do everything I can for this community that's hurting. So that's the number one thing on my platform. That's what I have, you know, plans to do. And you can go to our website and see, you know, all of the plans right there on the website. The other thing is that I have been a commissioner on the Seattle Community Police Commission for a long time. I have personally experienced the impact of bias policing. I've seen it happen with the folks that I serve. And what happened over the summer, the, you know, we're a couple of days from the anniversary of George Floyd's murder. I feel compelled to be a voice for justice and a voice for community that has been hurt and harmed by the impact of over-policing and militarized policing. So that's another huge part of our platform is looking at true accountability in the Seattle Police Department um, and in police reform. And then the final thing is an equitable recovery from COVID. You know, we got to come back strong, of course, in our economy, but we need to remember that prior to COVID, we had incredible amounts of disparity in our community. You know, people of color who are overly represented in our homeless community. We have over, you know, bias policing, I already mentioned. We have, you know, health inequities that are startling. And so I really believe that we need to have someone who comes from that a perspective of equity, like it's ingrained in me. Sometimes I get questions like on the campaign trail that they'll ask all of the folks and say, what is your platform on equity? And I just, I feel like it's, it's sort of funny because like my whole life I've been focused on like on creating a more equitable world yeah. for communities that have been hurting. That's my platform. And I think the overarching part of it is being that servant leader, being, you know, we're talking about motherhood today, being that person that will truly, I know this may sound kind of odd and weird, but someone who will nurture the city, who will say to everyone, right? Like not just our homeless community, but our business community and our residents and our neighborhoods, like you belong here, you belong to be, and you are a part of this larger community. So there's just so much there that is exciting for me. And I hope the Seattle voters think it's great too, and want to be a part of the bigger story with us. I will say when I was on the call with you a few weeks ago and you talked about your platform and these three points specifically, and I was like, oh yes, like that and that one, two, three, that's exactly like <laughs> anyone who I talk to. Those are like the three things that people are, that citizens are mostly concerned about. And I think this is in Seattle, but I think this is in so many cities. I mean, I'm sure there's people that are like, please come to my city. <laughs> and like, um, so I think this is all so significant. I also think around homelessness, it was so refreshing to hear, first of all, you have this like massive experience, this resume on supporting the homeless community and providing options to people impacted by homelessness that I think is unparalleled, but then that you had like these specific plans ready to go and not just like a dainty paragraph that that you had rehearsed. That was kind of cute. <laughs> I think I led, I think I mentioned earlier that I feel like this is a calling right now, you know, and when people were asking me about running for mayor and I, I was looking at like, okay, here's my expertise, homelessness. I've been working in police reform for way before George Floyd's murder for four years. 
I, you know, have been leading this new group called the Equitable, I founded it, with co-founded it, Equitable Recovery and Reconciliation Alliance that's been taking off in this incredible way. And I thought, these are the three most important issues in our city. If I truly believe that I'm called to be a public servant, then I do need to step in in this moment and run for mayor of Seattle, even though I don't know if we've mentioned this yet or not, because motherhood is like this too, but it is so exhilarating and incredibly frightening at the same time. Yes. Yes. Can you say more about that? Because I think that's important. It's not just like make a decision to run for mayor and then be like, yes, I'm going to do this. And it's awesome. Oh, I mean, again, because I have no guideposts, no one's ever, I don't have anyone to look to to that has done this before. There are times when I just feel so anxious and afraid and like, what the hell am I doing right now? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Why did I do this? And it's just so, so difficult. And I have to, again, you know, I have the guru of the campaign, my husband saying, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Who are the people that you care about? And immediately I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm back to where I've been. And then there's also times when it feels like, you know, we are leading in the fundraising. That feels unbelievable to me. It's like, how did this happen? I'm just this little native woman who's trying to do the right thing. And now we're leading in fundraising. And um, that to me is just part of, you know, I see that Seattle's ready for new leadership. That's what Mm -hmm. it means. That mm-hmm. Seattle is ready for a native voice. That Seattle is ready for someone who has the expertise in homelessness. <laughs> you know, right. not just the daily paragraph, but the real nuts and bolts of like, this is how we do it. And so it's both of those feelings of being so excited. And then also the other side of it, just feeling like, oh my God, like, can I really do this? You know, all those voices of inadequacy that, you know, again, because of the construct. <laughs> Yeah, the yeah. social construct and I'm fighting them off and I have great friends who I can just reach out and say, Hey, this I'm struggling. And they just send me all the great encouragement. And then the other great thing is I do have such a wonderful group of friends and neighbors that people are dropping off pies and wine and cookies. I love it. It's <laughs> just a care. Like in the homeless community, when we talk about serving, you know, a client or, you know, someone who's experiencing homelessness, you talk about giving them the continuum of care, all of the things that they need. And that's what I feel like I've gotten. I have had this huge continuum of care all around me who are just supporting me in so many ways. And it's really makes us much easier because it's a difficult journey. It's really yeah. hard to run yeah. for office. Yes. I want to say something about that feeling of terror. And I think that that's really natural when you're stepping into something new and different and something that hasn't been modeled to you where you haven't seen someone like you do it before. And one of the things that I think a lot about when I'm doing something new and scary, and one of the things I coach a lot of my clients around is when we look forward into like doing those big things, it feels so daunting. But when we look back, if we look at our lifetime resume, I call it lifetime resume, but if you were to like sit down and make a list of, you know, your top 20 accomplishments, easily those would be the exact things that are qualifying you to go to do the next thing. But when you're just poising, when you're in that poised position, ready to do the next thing or positioned to do the next thing, but not feeling totally ready or totally adequate, we don't look back at at the evidence that we can do it. We instead start to carry like other evidence of like, well, one time I failed on this one thing. And one time someone got mad at me about this one thing or no, I haven't seen anyone do it before. Like you have to choose the evidence that you're going to carry with you. And your evidence is so strong that you are perfectly poised for this position. Yeah. I can, I so resonate with that because I'm reminding myself like, these are the people who I care about and believe in me and I believe in them. Yeah. And if they, if, if they 
think I can do this. And yes, get in there and don't hold back, but be strong in doing that. So it continues to just kind of blow my mind. And I can't believe, sometimes I think I can't believe I'm doing this, but also so glad to do it. I feel like every day I'm learning something new every day I'm growing and that is worth it, right? Like to be, you know, pushing yourself to do something hard is good. Yeah. I've had a few, like three, maybe other political candidates on the podcast over the last couple of years, which is always really exciting. And I'm always very much in awe because I'm like, how does one decide that that's like the next right step? It sounds so big and to your point, big and scary and full of terror. But I also think that it's, that's a story that we make up (laughs) that women make up that we're like, not ready. We're not qualified. And so I want to know what your advice is to other women who might be considering running for political office or who like, who are totally qualified, but don't even know that they're qualified. And what would you say to someone to give them that nudge? I think like to just be yourself is something that I'm learning. Cause you know, in the race here in Seattle, we have, I'm the only one that's never run for office or worked in city hall. And, and when I'm in a, you know, we've been in like these forums where we're kind of like debating each other. I'm just kind of blown away by how good they are. Like, they're so good. Like they know how to talk about it. And, but you know, the reality is that when I look about my qualifications, about the, the things that have been the most important things in our region, I've had success at it. Right. And so my husband keeps reminding me, he's like, you know what a good predictor of success is, is success, not necessarily experience. (laughs) And, And I keep remembering that and just pushing forward. And so, you know, for other women who are out there who want to run for office, I say, I just, just go for it and trust your gut. That's the other hard thing for me because, you know, I just don't know the political world. And so finding that I kept the first three weeks of the campaign, I kept telling my close friends and husband, like, I feel like I have lost my equilibrium. Like I'm underwater. Like I don't, I don't know where to stand and it took me a while. So I think that's the other advice I would have for women out there is like, just know that there's going to be an adjustment. Period. Right. Right. <laughs> where you just like with anything, new thing where you just feel like, whoa, I'm, I don't know what's going on here, but I got to trust my gut yeah. and trust the people around me who I, you know, who know and love me and are going to support me all the way. So the final thing I'll say about it, it's a difficult journey, but it's also incredibly rewarding. Like I am so glad I did this win or lose. I know that my campaign will have made a difference. Um, that's the other thing. Someone told me this early on. They said, you run a campaign that will make a difference, even if you don't win. And that has been such a lifeline for me. And I know like we just put out yesterday, you know, like I'm calling it 22 points to bring in everyone from outside in 14 months. So it's like our 22, like, this is exactly what we're going to do. 22 things. And it feels great. Like if I don't win, you know, someone else can look at that plan and they can run with it and that will have made a difference. And that's worth it. The people who are outside experiencing homelessness right now, they deserve someone to fight for them. And, and I hope that win or lose that has a long-term impact. Oh my goodness. I love everything that you just said, I think is so significant. And I also, so I was laughing to myself a little bit because there's this parallel. So next year, I'm going to be the co-chair of the parent association at my son's school, which is definitely not the same as running for mayor. It's definitely not the same. So I'm not comparing the two in that sense, but there's this interesting parallel. When I took the role, I was like, I have no idea what this role involves. Like I am not someone who's been super involved in the parent association, but I, when I was asked to do it, I was asked to do it because for two reasons, I know what I stand for and I know how to serve. And So I, to your point around like 
not having this, you know, layered experience in politics, that's not the significant part. If you know what you stand for and you know how to serve. And I think that's what's so significant and important. And I love that. That's what you're going to do. And I think your 22 action steps over 14 months is like such a stunning example of that. Well, thank you. And that's what I will bring to this office is actual like success in solving this crisis of homelessness for people who've just been in so much trauma and so much pain and we've got to fix it. I love it. Can you tell us how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom? Oh, this is the other compelling question. When I, <laughs> I think I'm showing up as a shameless mom by just doing this work right now. I mean, I know that sounds like a simple answer and it's obvious line, but it's really, truly where I'm at right now is that as a mom, I'm focusing on leading the city and leading a good campaign. And there are things that are falling apart around the house, right? Like <laughs> the other day, my husband totally like, fine. Yeah. He was like, why is there eight pillows on this bed? I'm like, I don't know. Like I ordered a bunch of new pillows because the old <laughs> ones were bad. And then we never got rid of the old ones, you know, <laughs> like, things like that are just like, are just you know, they're not in order. And at this point in time though, like, I just cannot care about that. I have no shame about it. Yeah. You know, I am just like, Hey, the bathrooms are clean. (laughs) We're eating. We're fine. That's doing very well. If the bathrooms are clean, I feel like even that, like you're keeping the standard very high. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And we're walking the dog and things are good, you know, and and my kids are happy. If that's, Mm, you know, and the other things can, go to hell, right? Like I want my kids to know that I care about them. We may like sit and watch dance moms and the floor is dirty around me. And I'm like, whatever. Like I want the kids to know that I'm here for them right now in this moment and like, let the other things go. But I just want my kids to know that they can do exactly what I'm doing and they should Mm -hmm. put themselves out there and they should, you know, do it with, without fear. I think that, you know, all of the anxiety and fear that I have been experiencing, I think if they're seeing me do it now, they're going to be able to do it. And they're not going to have that same kind of fear. They're going to be like, oh yeah, this is what you do. This is how you behave when you know that you have solutions to some of these problems in the city, you step up and you don't have to be afraid of it. And so I am just shameless about investing right now in my own self and my campaign and spending every moment I can possibly spend with my kids. And I'm not worried about the house and the yard and the car. Oh, like the car, like the dog, like the dog ran in the the muddy paws, like this all over it. I'm like, oh, well, (laughs) the car is the whole situation. That's it. That's its own thing. (laughs) And my mom comes and like just cleans up and she's just so wonderful and helps so much. But those kind of things I'm not going to focus on. I'm not going to be upset about it. And I'm just going to focus on doing the best that I can in this campaign and loving my family. That's it. I love it. I love it so much. So tell people how they can support you, support the campaign, vote, all those good things. Oh, so love it. Well, echohawkforseattle.com has all the information that you need to know about the campaign. Like I mentioned earlier, we're focused on serving our homeless community and solving this humanitarian crisis. Um, We're focused on police reform. And we have an amazing, I think an incredible platform on police reform and public safety and then equitable recovery from this, you know, COVID crisis. We didn't talk about COVID, Sarah. Like we needed to book like three hours for this. I I understand you have some other media to do this week. So I didn't want to take all of your week, but we really (laughs) could have taken the whole day. Because health equity is just such a huge 
I just have a huge lens for that and, and believe that we can do so much more. So we, I want to invite everyone to just check out our website. Um, you can also find out a lot on social media. I'm trying to do an Instagram live every couple of days, keep people updated on what we're doing, kind of let people get to know me better because again, COVID, we haven't had a lot of in-person events, hopefully right. we'll later on. Um, I'll but- be there. <laughs> Oh, great. And, and, you know, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We're very active on all of those spaces. And, you know, if you believe in leadership that is going to serve our community and actually solve some of these crises, please vote for us. Vote for me. (laughs) Vote for our campaign. Um, This is the time for a generational shift. Like, this is the other reason I'm running, Sarah, is like, just knowing that this opportunity right now, after COVID, we can do some world changing things. Absolutely. And people are ready for that, like more than ever before, more than ever before. And we want to have to take this opportunity and go hard with it and just know that this is a time. And I just invite you all to be a part of the journey with us. This is truly an invitation to be a part of this community of justice seekers and truth seekers. We need that after the past four years of a Trump administration, after COVID, let's do this together. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be on the podcast with you. Thank you. This has been so incredible. I so appreciate you taking the time, Colleen. And I will link everything that you mentioned up in the show notes so people can just click through to check out the campaign, your website, all your social media. This has been such a generous gift that you've given us today. And so I want people, if you're in Seattle, please share this episode all over social media. Please spread the word, help support Colleen's campaign in any way that you can, because Oh my goodness. What you have to bring to the table is so significant for our city. Thank you. Thank you for being here, Colleen. Well, thank you so much. Thank you to our dear friend, Angela. Yes. We love you, Angela. Love you so much. (laughs) And I look forward to listening to more of your podcasts too, by the way. I'm so glad that Angela disconnected us. Thank you for all that you do because it's making a big difference. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Mamas, have you signed up for my workshop? Five mindset resets. You need to shine like a mother after surviving a pandemic. If you haven't signed up yet, push pause right now and pop on over to shamelessmom.com slash shine to join me on Wednesday, July 28th. That's shamelessmom.com slash shine. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. 
Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.